A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You ready to roll? Yeah, let's do it. Let's roll. Happy. Let's roll. <laughs> rich roll. Let's roll. <laughs> Merry Richmas. Oh, it was a Richmas indeed. This last weekend, man. Planted Expo went down. That was so much fun. It was really cool. Zach and I obviously are both kind of riding, riding a high uh, of conversation, of experience, of gratitude. I feel like it was like the vegan Coachella, but maybe that's just because it's been COVID for COVID for the last two years and like nobody's really seen each other. Yeah. Well, definitely. That was definitely part of it. Like we had this great weekend. I mean, the Planta team knocked it out of the park. Unbelievable. And the fact that it was this first kind of big event post COVID or wherever we are in the world of COVID, but it was just great. It was a great success. And tell us more. We got to have our conversation with the man himself rich roll that was so cool yeah what was it like for you what was i mean rich roll's an idol for me and it's like such an interesting thing to meet your idols yeah what was that like for you definitely i mean i've i've followed him and respected his work and uh, like just everything he puts out i would say i'm (laughs) equally equally a huge fan of everything so it was they they always say like don't meet your heroes because they'll like disappoint you and i feel like he was just like such a normal dude. Yeah. And like there, it was, it was great. It was a great experience. Um, so wise. And, you know, some of the questions we got to ask him at the evening event, like he just delivered classic rich role. Like, classic rich role. It was great. Yeah. So we got that. We're going to have that conversation. Yes. I think it'll be coming out early, early new year. Yeah. So if you didn't make it to the event, uh, have no fear. Yeah. Because, uh, We'll be we'll be releasing it as a podcast uh, in our usual podcast form, uh, early twenty twenty two. Yeah, and there's also some video of the event, so maybe maybe I don't know. We'll have to start like a YouTube or something. Start yeah. doing some vlogs. Should we? Should we vlog it up? I don't know. Maybe that we need to throw it up on the Instagram. Share my kitchen sink smoothies with the world. <laughs> it's true. Secret recipes. Yeah. What Zach puts in his sea smoothies? Smoths and hemp seeds. But yeah, it was such a cool experience. Um, like the the live podcast experience too was really really cool quite interesting like a different format when you're having a conversation with 200 other people in the room yeah i (laughs) felt that like to go behind the scenes in our process like i usually feel like we jam until whichever guest we're jamming with kind of 
you know, runs out of energy for the conversation. Yeah, or yeah. Like, you know, it usually comes to like a natural endpoint. Yeah. And we kind of try to go there. But um, with a crowd of 200 people, it's like that's the, the you know, the fourth person in the room is these yeah. 200 people. And you, I, I felt very aware of that energy. Yeah. Um, for the good and the bad. You know, I was <laughs> yeah. like, do I tell more jokes? Like, I know. I, yeah. Should I pull out some of my dad jokes for everybody to like bring some levity to <laughs> the wisdom that uh, Rich was sharing? But yeah. uh, we, we just kind of stuck to it and I stayed, tried to stay in the zone and. You know, stare deeply into a ritual soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. There's Pray some, for friendship. <laughs> There's definitely some good moments for sure. Uh, the whole weekend, as I said, was just was just a highlight. I mean, I got to see a special screening of John Lewis's um, movie too. They're uh, trying. They're trying to kill us. Is his new doc? That's so cool, dude! Amazing. We got to uh, we got to get him on the pod to talk about that. And if you haven't seen it, you got to see it. It's like twenty bucks to to purchase because they're having trouble getting it. Uh, hosted on like a platform um, not because it's not an amazing movie but because like the content because it's truthful and because we'll it's, some feathers. it's already like ruffling feathers of people who have like maybe stake in the <laughs> in the companies that would host a documentary like this so it, you got to see it. it like i said i think if you go to their website they're trying to kill us um like the doc it's 20 bucks and you get it for five years so Watch it a few times and it's well worth the money. Well, maybe we could do, just putting this idea out there, don't hold us to it, but maybe we could uh, do a screening or something. That maybe, would... maybe we could team up with friend of the pod, Aaron Ireland, and bring back the old Mindful Movie Nights. Oh yeah, you guys used to do that. Yeah. At, uh, on, on, at your fifth location, right? Fifth location, at Stretch Yoga, sometimes at a movie theater. Yeah, it was like we a, should. A bigger screening, but. Uh, we should get a little space. and Okay. Maybe we can reach out to Aaron and see if uh, we should bring back Mindful Movie and do a screening together. It, yeah, it's so powerful. We should we should like get all the friends because I know friends. I know um, Asha from Kula Kitchen has, has seen it. She nailed it, being like the also, MC for the weekend. Hey, dynamite! So shout good. out to Asha, superstar. I know she really like warmed up Rich for us because she had that kind of like uh, discussion, you know, with him on the stage during the day broke the ice got him comfortable yeah like so we we owe a debt of gratitude to our friend asha too always making sure that he was comfortable and ready to go yeah. but yeah so i know we should just do we should get all the friends in okay including you listening to this come come to the movie i guess it's got to happen okay we'll just have to figure out from okay stay tuned <laughs> Detail, to... <laughs> details coming soon we'll share it on the internet we're just making these promises we don't know if we can deliver yep. on but we're if, gonna do our best at the very least we'll all, i'll come over to dean's house and, yeah uh, i'll bring some nooch pop and uh, there you go. we go yeah but it's uh it's well worth seeing check it out they're trying to kill us i mean just a great weekend all part of this planted expo weekend you know uh steven and johnny and the whole team just like killed it they, they did such a good job what a team i'm so grateful that we got to meet those guys they feel like uh you know such a gift of you know people that are genuinely out there to create good on this planet um so when you're around those people you just feel like um elevated to to do more good yourself so yeah. i'm i'm happy that we got the opportunity to connect with with those fine folks me too yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what do we got? Let's just uh, give a little shout out to this week's sponsor. Yes. Yes. I always, I always try to get ahead of the game and maybe it's cause it's probably cause I haven't had dinner. Yeah. I'm feeling hungry. Oh, so hungry. It's like an hour till dinner and I'm starting to count down. 
mm-hmm. put this old stopwatch on. And you know what sucks when you like start to get hungry and then you're like, what am I going to make? Yeah. That's like a mealtime scary situation right Mealtime scary. Get the panics. You start looking in the cupboard. You see a bunch of spices that you don't know what to do with them. You open the freezer. You don't know how long it's been there. Right. It's got freezer burn. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to heal freezer burn. <laughs> Looks dangerous. You don't want to do takeout again because, you know, it just yeah. adds up. It's not always the healthiest. What? What do you do? What do you do? Who do you call? Fresh Prep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our pod sponsors today, freshprep.ca. They're the best. There to solve all your mealtime scares, bring some nutrition, some deliciousness, some goodness, some stress-free, pleasureful eating experiences into your kitchen. Right. And we've got a little promo code to make it easier for you. We sure do. If you go to freshprep.ca and you find the meals that you like and you want to add them to your cart, and then at checkout, when they ask you for a promo code, you punch in SC Juice. And you've got yourself three free meals. All cap locks, I believe, right? All caps. All caps. Yeah. So give them a try. It's been a game changer for me and my family. Meal time is easy, anxiety-free, delicious. All the things that uh, I want in a meal. My kids right. love it. And I uh, feel good. Uh, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that can uh, get a little wild and crazy at dinner time and you know have more than my fair share. And they're like the perfect size. Yeah. So I don't... Uh, you know, get into that uh, compulsive overeating nature that uh, I can be guilty of when uh, food's as good as fresh bread. Well, it's hard. It's hard when it's good. Yeah. Right. Just, you know. Which it is. Just want one more sometimes. Yeah. And also, too, if that isn't enough of a glowing endorsement, they also have zero waste. Yep. Which is really, really cool. So you can get it all packaged up, ready to go, and then nothing is going in the trash. It's just your food in a reusable yep. container. And, um, that's good for you. That's good for the planet. It's good for everybody. It's good. It's, it's, it's a lot more good. A lot more good. <laughs> and uh, if that's not enough, we had uh, one of the founders, Becky Brower, on the podcast last week. Uh, she's just like, a, you know, she's just a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Uh, such a positive force. So check out that episode. I learned a lot from her, as I always do. So yeah, fresh prep. There you go. There you go. All right. This week, what's happening? Ooh, okay. Who do we got? This one was a firecracker. Yeah. Firecracker is the wrong word. Uh, like a change maker. Maya, change maker, yeah. Maya Wickler. Just like a catalyst for change in the climate world. Yeah, uh, Maya Wickler is with us. Positive change. Man, I was so inspired by Maya. Mm-hmm. I just found myself so present in the conversation, like really absorbing everything that she was saying because everything felt important. And everything felt like this is this is stuff that I need to know, and this is stuff that I need to apply to my to my life. So, yeah. when you get the opportunity to meet someone like Maya, like those are the people that I want to follow. Those are the people I want to listen to. Um, you know, that's that's the eco chamber, the echo chamber that mm, I want to nice. surround myself with, so that my influence is that of of change, of positive change. And, uh, yeah, like that, that girl's on to big things. She's doing big things. She was just in Scotland. That's right. For COP26, the big climate conversation with all of the, the world's leaders and stakeholders. And, uh, and she was there in the mix. Uh, it'd be great to have her back to kind of debrief even yeah. like on, on what, 
what that experience uh, would have been like. But yeah, super important part of the conversation and just like um, doing the work on the ground here in BC, but then also taking it to all of the important places um, that it needs to go, these conversations and really, really, I think like empowering people through sharing her story, being an advocate for the planet. And I mean, the power, of, in, the power of storytelling, really. Exactly. It is really inspiring. So she recently had an amazing article on in, in Vogue magazine that kind of summarized her experience at COP26 and, and highlighted some of the indigenous leaders that she was learning from. Uh, amazing article. We'll throw it in the show notes. And she recently wrote an article on what's happening up at Fairy Creek uh, for Patagonia. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of screen grabbed some of the facts from that article that we didn't get into yeah. on, on the podcast, on the episode, but I just wanted to... Um, kind of shout out some of these facts because they were kind of like kind of like when I saw Cowspiracy for the first time and it was like just like rattling off fact after fact of how agriculture affected everything from the environment to deforestation to mass extinction um some of the facts she shared were like same light bulb moments for me of like the impact of deforestation in BC and of old growth and ancient growth logging what it's doing. I think there's so much greenwashing going on here that um, we lose the the true facts of what's happening. Yeah. So let's hear them. Let's hear. What did you should find? I, should I rattle some off? Give a, Give us a couple before we get into it. Okay. Primers. So, primers for primer, this conversation. Primer for my for this conversation. So less than three percent of the old growth remains in BC. So at the rate that we're logging, all of these trees will be gone within the next five years. We'll have no more old growth left in BC. That's insane. The old growth is still being logged at a staggering rate of more than 500 soccer fields per day. Ooh. On Vancouver Island, forests are being destroyed three times faster than that of the Amazon rainforest. So think about that. Like, There's so many like petitions and so much press and marketing to bring awareness of the deforestation that's happening in the Amazon rainforest, but it's happening three times faster here in BC. That's crazy. And when you think about like the outcry against like the Brazilian government and these other places where it feels like the the Amazon and these precious rainforests are being like exploited and we throw shade when it's like, we're doing the same thing here. Yeah. And probably didn't even realize. Yeah. So on that action, like, I would say, you know, first start to educate yourself on it. But two, if you've got some some dollars and, and cents to spare, like throw it towards the land defenders because they're the ones on the front line that are, are protecting our ancient growth, our old growth forests. They're sacrificing everything to try to protect what is left. So if you can donate, do. Um, we can put in our notes a couple organizations that are, are f- on the front line. Um, but that one really blew my mind that we are um, destroying our forests here three times faster than that in the Amazon rainforest. Whoa. Yeah, that's brutal. It just gets crazier, though. And then crazier. I mean, sadder. Uh, the carbon impact of logging is greater in BC than the oil sands in Alberta. Another one that we like to throw shade at, you know. We're okay in BC, West Coast, beautiful West Coast. You know, we live in the rainforest. Yeah. Big, bad Alberta. You know, they're doing all the bad things with oil. Not the case. The carbon impact of logging is greater in BC than the oil sands in Alberta. In fact, the carbon emissions are twice as large as the oil fields. Wow. From the logging. That's astounding. Isn't that astounding? Yeah. 
we like to think that we're holier than Mm -hmm. or better than when it's just a successful case of greenwashing and and marketing. Mm -hmm. The BC government failed to implement all 14 recommendations from the province's old growth strategic review panel report. Um, The arrest at Ferry Creek is the largest act of civil obedience in Canadian history. Yeah. There's been more arrests there than any other civil disobedience in Canadian history. I saw I saw on her um, Twitter uh, earlier this month, Canada traded in its orange T-shirts for assault rifles and tactical gear in less than two months. Hashtag wet, sweat, and strong. It's crazy. And, and even like on the, just on the broader climate change idea, like think about, um, there's pictures from the Coquihalla, I don't know, like three months ago after of, the fires uh, of the Coquihalla literally being on fire three months later it's like destroyed by flooding it's washed away we've got like the most forest fires and then we're having record rainfall it's like you know if if we're not making changes from what we're seeing on the day-to-day weather like we need to reprioritize oh man a few things well and even I heard the other day on the radio the uh they were interviewing um, uh, forestry scientists and uh, climate scientists, and they were both saying how the the deforestation that happens as a result of the fires will, you know, we've had some significant fire seasons the last few years, and that will actually start to affect the weather systems. And then when we get crazy amounts of rain and no trees to absorb it, to shelter it, to slow it down from hitting the ground, that the propensity for these big mudslides and mm-hmm. landslides is like exponential. The erosion and all of that. There's no, there's no foundation. No, below the soil to well, even to the hold root, it all together. The root system of the trees keeping things yeah. together and absorbing and drying that water up. It's just yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So I, I mean, I think it's important to be like we don't want to be like doom and gloom. I think it's, but I do think it's important to be realistic and mm-hmm. and know what's happening so that we can um, use information to be empowering mm-hmm. and to inspire and motivate us to to make positive change. I think once we we know better, we can do better, kind of thing. Yep. Uh, I got one more fact, and then we can uh, let my take it from there. Let's do it. Uh, so the BC government claims over 20% of forests contain old growth, while an independent independent study found only 2.7% could truly be classified as such. So uh, back to that idea of greenwashing, like they're, they're selling an idea that there still is an abundance of old growth, but um, it's down to 2.7% um, or... Yeah, less than 3%, as I mentioned earlier. And at the the rate that we're logging at, they'll all be gone within five years. So um, just picture, like, we've got some young kids. You know, by the time they're teenagers, there will be no old growth left other than kind of some of the more amusement park-style ones that are at the side of the road Yeah. Um, that, have you know, will be safe within park boundaries. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, I mean, I think we we do have those five years to make change, yeah. and let's let's use them wisely, and um, you know, let's call our MLAs and our uh, the political leaders, and and um, you know, hold people accountable. Yeah, and hopefully that uh, can lead to change. And in the meanwhile, if, 
we can't be there ourselves like uh sending some funds to the the first line land defenders i think those are are positive ways to make some change absolutely all right well clearly conversation that we're both passionate about that uh, we need to be well versed in even more so than we already are and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to have Maya on was just to share her wisdom and knowledge and experience and so we hope you like this one as uh, as much as we did get lots out of it and um, be sure to share it and yeah maybe take some notes and fire them off to uh, the powers that be to start asking for that change all right Maya Wickler everyone all right here we are with uh, Maya Wickler welcome Thank you. <laughs> Good to have Thanks. you with us. Thanks for making the trek. I feel like you're in all the places in the world all at once. So thank you for, for making time to come yeah. sit down with us today. <laughs> Appreciate it. I know you're off to Scotland for the UN Climate Climate Conference. UN Climate Talks. Climate Talks. Also known as COP26. COP26. Conference of the Parties, 26th year. Crazy. People have been debating about how to care for the environment. <laughs> Should be like a no-brainer at this point. Yeah, right? yeah what's left to debate? Like, like, yeah. Oh, wait, I guess lots, when there's lots of interests involved, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were before before the record button was pushed, you were giving us some insight into some of the players that are there, and I'm sure it'll come up in the conversation, mm-hmm. but already I'm like, wait, what? That's happening? <laughs> and they've been negotiating our collective future for almost as long as I've been alive. Yeah. So that's it's pretty wild. Yeah. And I hope that this is like the last climate talks. Yeah, I was going to you know, say like eventually you want all the debating to yeah. be practice and and not just theory, mm-hmm. right? Mhm. Crazy. Yeah. So hopefully uh you bring the house down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really do hope some stuff gets shaken up. Yeah. And, uh, which I'm sure that it will. The climate yeah. talk that ends all climate talks. Mm-hmm. That would be cool. Exactly. It, it is wild that like the opposition to climate science and climate change um, like are represented at these talks as well. Mm-hmm. Like having to like sit down and like convince people still at this point that climate change is a real thing. Well, that's the thing is we'll never convince corporate interests because their sheer existence is the antithesis to our collective well-being. Yeah. So we'll never convince them to recognize humanity because it's an inhuman like foundation of which they've even been able to gain the power and wealth that they have. Mm. So I do think that, you know, our collective ability to imagine and be creative and to just be in community again with each other is kind of radical because it's like, we don't really need to beg corporations to Mm -hmm. be just, it's more like, you're not entering the space in the way that you need to be entering the space so you don't get to come into it. Mm-hmm. And the like humanity, we make the rules. Like we get to set the stage, not corporations. Definitely. And like capitalism can exist mm-hmm. in a way that's not so damaging. Like, can it? I don't know. Can it? I don't know. Maybe we can talk about that. <laughs> Let's go. I mean, I think corporations have the power to do the most good if they chose to obviously they're not right now but they They will they will never have a motive to within capitalism yeah because the the thing is is capitalism inherently is premised upon 
dispossession and displacement of land right from indigenous people Mm -hmm. so it's like people have to recognize the violence that exists in capitalism yes and that has to be maintained for it to continue of course and capitalism is always based on unlimited growth right Mm -hmm. and which in is will forever be in opposition to a healthy environment when we live on a planet that's uh with finite resources yes yeah So so i think that we can have an abundant economy. Yeah. But I think that we can also challenge ourselves to yeah. be more radically creative about what our economies will look like. Mm-hmm. And, yes. You know, and and in business, like business as an entity yes. has so much power to do good. Yes. But not capitalistic corporations. Right. Yeah. And I think under, I was debating this with a friend like the idea of good and bad and mm-hmm. how they're like, um, you know, up up for, like I have an idea of what's good and mm-hmm. what's bad, but that's my own perspective. And a corporation, like their their line of values is like good means profit. Mm-hmm. But good to me doesn't mean like cutting down all of the trees in the forest mm-hmm. and, you know, burning our planet to a place that it's not livable. Right. So like we both have an idea of what's good and our definition's different. And um, I do think that's like a challenging concept to like Mm -hmm. good versus bad or evil versus good when there's like these compasses that encourage what they believe to be good, which is bad for everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that at the same time, there just has to, you know, this guy, I forget what his name was. He was the activist who... um, Bureau of Land Management in the States. I don't think a lot of people in Canada are familiar with it, but there's public land leases that happen in the States and the auction happens every year through BLM, which is Bureau of Land Management. And Tim DeKristoff, I think was his name. He So these public lands are some of the largest emitters of fossil fuels because that's where extraction happens on the land. And so he was protesting it by auctioning to get a lease on the land and obviously wouldn't do anything to develop it. And then he he got arrested. I think, I forget what his direct action was. I think he like had buried himself in the ground or like had done something that was just like, it, you know, it made headlines everywhere. And, and then he had this quote where he was like, we need to be doing, taking action that is parallel to the magnitude of the crisis. And I do think that that still stands true where it's like, the most recent IPCC report. We are mm. fully out of time. Oh yeah. Like and I, I just think people need to sit with that reality. And I yes. don't think people are fully doing that because yeah. it's like we have all these abilities to distract ourselves, which is a form of self soothing. And so I think people like kind of get there and then no, I gotta self soothe. I can't. Yeah. But it's like that was a sobering absolutely reality. And the thing is is the IPCC report as dire as it was is still not even as dire as the truth is because they're basing that report off of future technologies that don't exist with mm. carbon capture technology right. and carbon sequestration technologies that are not proven and they do not fully exist. And it's also based off of programs that don't work with like replanting trees to sequester mm-hmm. carbon and things like that. So there's still gaps in these IPCC reports that 
are still painting a rosy picture in a way, despite like how grim it is. Yeah. And I think that's what people really have to grapple with is like, we ran out of time and the stage that we're in right now is mitigation and adaptation. Like, how do we make this less? Right. And even, even challenging, like people are still throwing on the word, uh, sustainability, like sustainability is a, we got to do sustainable practices and it sounds good. And I think, I believe like people's intentions are good when they want to be sustainable, but then it's like, no, no, pause and look around. You want to sustain this? Like Mm -hmm. this is no sustainability at this point. It's too late. Like we need regenerative practices to as best we can offset and move into a new direction. Because Mm -hmm. if our goal is to sustain, like that IPCC report shows us like, we don't want to sustain where we're at. So even just in that kind of like normative thinking of like, oh, that's the good measures like to be more Mm -hmm. sustainable and this and that. And again, like the intentions are good, but to pull back the curtain and be like, no, that's not good enough anymore is really important because people can think it's not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. Like it's not that bad yet, but it is yeah. crazy. Absolutely. So let's rewind it back a tiny bit, and then we'll get back yeah. to the <laughs> the climate uh, climate change and yeah. how we can try to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, how does how does one grow up in Philadelphia and end up here on the west coast of Canada as like a you know a climate justice organizer and and storyteller and you know, what led you from, from there to here and mm-hmm. what connected you to climate change? It's a long, <laughs> long story. Yeah. <laughs> we got all day. Um, I, I've spoken about this before, but absolutely my own health journey completely influenced my reverence at a young age mm-hmm. for how interconnected our well-being is with the well-being of the environment. Mm-hmm. And... So, you know, growing up with severe asthma in Philadelphia is not the best (laughs) combination. Yeah. Yeah. And I always just found so much reprieve and and just my own well-being was really sustained by the few moments I would get in nature. Mm -hmm. And and I remember when I was I think I was 13 or 12 it was like the first vanity fair green issue came out like that's you know it was around that time where i think that was the same year the following year al gore's inconvenient truth yes documentary came out so it was like people were just starting to talk about climate change and vanity fair released this issue and my mom had marked um a article in the in the magazine that was about coal strip mining in West Virginia and the reporting was talking about all these children who were going to school with like their school bus windows covered in black because of the air pollution from the coal mining and then having all these lung issues Mm -hmm. and like issues with asthma and I remember being so devastated when I read that and just shocked like how could kids who were like me have to suffer in the ways that I had experienced real suffering with my own chronic health illness and journey and but at the hands of like corporate abuse and greed not because of some genetic lottery you know and and so it just shocked me and it really shook me up to think that there could be 
injustice like that upon such innocence because I really just think like children and youth are emblematic of that and and so then that really catapulted for me this kind of connection of like there's a level of understanding that the environment is so inextricable from our well-being and then also understanding the injustice of our well-being being impacted by an unhealthy environment Mm -hmm. that's made unhealthy by greed Mm. and by exploitation and extraction so it really it really started that and then like for years it was like putting out flyers everywhere we would go i would print out the inconvenient truth 10 things you can do flyers like on our family vacations and i think i was like 13 or something (laughs) that's awesome and then i remember i like went to go see that film with my mom and then went back to go see it again but with my notebook the second time amazing and so it was just all these little seeds getting planted and really on this journey of refining a deeper understanding of these issues and Mm -hmm. what it means to have a sense of agency because i think that was the thing with an inconvenient truth was it was one of the first documentary films that was like here's what an audience can actually do you know like here you are you just got this truth bomb and this yeah really devastating story but there's things that you can do and obviously now those 10 things are like contentious because it's this emphasis on the consumer individualism but for starting the seeds yeah it was everything that it needed to be and it recognized i think something like really deep in all of us which you recognized Mm -hmm. obviously in hearing that story about the kids and how they're in this unhealthy environment but it awakened in so many people this this sense of like, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. Like this is wrong that this is happening. And for that movie, you know, it's it's not perfect, but it was like pioneering. Exactly. It's in its time. It was doing something brand new to anticipate like people are going to want to do something about mm-hmm. this. I think speaks to like something that's in the midst of what can seem so dire and um, just dark and sad. It's this climate mm-hmm. emergency we're in is that we still have, even before we were recording this, this empathy, right? And that we're moved to want to take on this problem. Yeah. We we need to learn. We need to like have better strategies and better ways, but I think that that's so important. Like you recognize mm-hmm. it so early in yourself, but people are coming to it now still and there is a desire mm-hmm. to want to change it and address it. So totally. I think that's that's so that's so important and not everybody realizes yeah. it. It's like a little 13-year-old, right, running around. And it, yeah, and those threads have it's always been the trajectory like i remember i just read my essay for my undergraduate studies because sending it to my little cousin because he's now applying to the same undergrad program and it's like all the threads are still there like these concerns about injustice these concerns about the environment but everything just continued to get refined and then i remember when i was in college i watched the documentary chasing ice and it was, I think, one of the first photographers that was doing those time lapses of the yes. glacier melt. Yeah. And it's something that really struck me in that film was he was saying, I just wanted to be able to tell my daughter that I did what I could. And in his, you know, repertoire and skill set, that was photography. And that really struck me because I always felt like, well, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a quantitative person. I don't think or function in that way how can I actually be involved in this movement for climate justice if I'm not able to do climate science? Like that's like mm-hmm. what I thought that it was. Yeah. And then watching that film, I was like, oh my God, there's a <laughs> place for everybody. Yeah. 
yeah and then I'm after my undergrad moved out to BC to just continue the work and felt really called to live in a place that I would be able to feel restored and replenished by the environment and by the communities here while doing this hard work Mm -hmm. and you know being in these fights and it's just so important to me like my work has always been so connected with community so it's like wherever I feel that like strong genuine connection that to me is like the best way to energize and keep your work going cool yeah have you always been a storyteller like since you were you're little has that been something that I've always loved writing you've always loved yeah. writing cool mm-hmm. so journalism's been kind of our writing whatnot has always been a way for you to like communicate you know what you're perceiving and mm-hmm. and, and whatnot yeah and I think I've always been moved by stories they've completely shaped and influenced the course of my life mm-hmm. and and I think that writing is such a for me it's such an important part of expression yeah it's a place where I get to you know express what I witness and and try to convey the emotion and experience that I have and I think that um you know with I never went down a traditional journalism route Mm -hmm. that that really came about because of going to the UN climate talks three years ago that's so cool and and then continued from there because I think about like what affects me more and I think like if I were to read a book by a climate scientist Mm -hmm. and might you know I'm like this looks important (laughs) but I don't know exactly what it means exactly but the documentaries that have connected to me on um reached me on like like you guys were Mm -hmm. mentioning on an empathetic level or an emotional level like that has had lasting change Mm -hmm. um like I can think about like you know on a different climate trajectory like seeing earthlings Mm -hmm. you know i saw that and i was like well i can't eat meat anymore you know (laughs) like Mm -hmm. once you like see that suffering you can't unsee it and i think um you know touching on two of the things like bearing witness and connecting emotionally versus just sharing data Mm -hmm. and science it's it's sometimes i find much more approachable and can have a bigger wave of impact if you can, you know, connect to people's hearts and feelings. And mm-hmm. I think you're doing that. So props. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm crying. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, you've done, you're currently doing your PhD in political ecology at UVic, mm-hmm. but while on this journey, you know, you've worked with North Face and Patagonia and Native Shoes and written for Teen Vogue and the National Observer and, you know, like your your CV is that of someone that's like, you know, much older than yourself. <laughs> and I think that kind of speaks to this movement. Like it's a yeah. youth-led movement. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of wanted to dial in a little bit into something that is local for us here in BC and, and that's what's happening in Fairy Creek. And I know you've been, you know, bearing witness there and, and sharing the stories of, of what you've seen. Um, cool if we, we kind of go down that path for a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, so for those that don't know, can you kind of explain what is happening at Ferry Creek and the significance to it? Mm-hmm. So last summer, I think it was in August, um, Josh Wright, who's actually based in Washington State, was looking at 
maps for road building and where potential clear cutting was happening with Teal Jones. And he found that this one of the last intact watersheds on Vancouver Island was slated to be logged. And so he rallied some folks that he knew who were already involved with trying to protect old growth on the island. I think some of the original people to start that blockade were people and friends of the um, Walbrand, friends of the Carmana, I forget what it's called. But um, I think it was just like five or six folks who just went out there and stopped the loggers and set up the first blockade. And and that's now grown into what it is today. Mm-hmm. And so basically it's to stop old growth logging in that watershed. And one of the cool things about this movement is that it's a rolling blockade tactic style, which means that they will just throw out blockades wherever they find out new proposed logging is happening. So that that was happening too when I went out there for the first time. I think it was end of February and it was still snowing and folks were just setting up Eden Camp. It was before Kekus was even set up. And Kekus happened too later. I think that was in April. Very spur of the moment, same thing. People heard the loggers. They like heard that clear cutting was happening in that area on Diddy Dot territory and then just boom went out there and stopped the loggers so it's this very like the the style and tactic of Fairy Creek is very grassroots Mm -hmm. very non-hierarchical you know the camps change every single week like the people who are there changes all the time and the camps are constantly changing the names are constantly Mm. changing (laughs) You know, it's just this, it's a very like fluid in motion movement that, you know, it has some central cohesion and leadership from Elder Bill Jones, who's in the Pachidot community. But at the same time, it has the messiness of this kind of transience that is inherent in this type of a um, kind of blockade tactic movement. And, and also people are being are in a space of having to be reactionary because there's so little old growth left, especially on Vancouver Island, especially the Southern part. This is the last watershed that hasn't been logged. And so so, this is like the last stand. So it is one of the last stands. I think that that's really important for folks to understand about Fairy Creek is Fairy Creek is one of, you know, and Mm -hmm. I, I just am part of my, emphasis on that is i don't want all of our attention to be on fairy creek while the rest of the island gets logged and while like old growth logging continues throughout bc which is what is happening right you know overall fairy creek is emblematic of the bigger issue in bc which is a completely like archaic colonial concept of Mm -hmm. logging Mm. that has no proper management it's all based on sustained sustainable yield, which is a fallacy. It's this concept that like if you're logging and clear cutting, you will create more productive, mm-hmm. you know, areas once you replant. And and it's all based on this like very outdated scientific concept of well, we can just monocrop mm-hmm. these tree species and replace these incredibly biodiverse ecosystems and ancient forests yeah. with tree farms. Mm-hmm. And then have a higher sustained yield and this like reach this higher profit margin. It's just this total failure of management and a system. And it's happening across the entire province. 
And so Fairy Creek represents all that we can do. I think it, mm-hmm. it also is showing people everything that this government and police is willing to do to protect industry. Mm, it's wild. And everything they're willing to do to see through the extinction of ancient forests. Like that's what we're talking about is extinction. And I think people need to understand that. It's like yeah. this is extinction of an ecosystem that predates capitalism and colonialism. Mm-hmm. Like these are some of the last places we can witness where the land exists in all of its abundance as is. Yeah. Like it hasn't been altered. It hasn't been developed. It Like it doesn't have the mark and the scar of the violence of these extractive economies. It's so crazy and so sad to see RCMP and government protecting private industry over like the health and well-being of the world, really. I mean, these trees are the lungs of the world Mm -hmm. and they're like like spiritual beings in a way as well, like not only for for the indigenous people here, but for kind of for humanity. Yeah, yeah. 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 We, we all... We all benefit from it. It's not mm. like one, yeah, one person or one corporation benefits from the, the forest. But as soon as you, cut down these trees, the, the benefit of that is now so limited, mm-hmm. and it's so finite. Whereas when it's part of this, super diverse, ecosystem, everybody is benefiting, everybody. And then to remove it, it's like, oh, we're we're stealing that benefit and monetizing it just for a select few. Mm-hmm. And I think like we had looked at that picture. Some some of you people might have even seen it. it. Came out in like May last year, where a woman took a photo of one of the just like gigantic trees on the back of that logging truck. And I I remember I actually was teaching a class last year and showed this to them. And I was like, because it was right as a lot of publicity was coming around for Fairy Creek, and people were trying to you know, they're young people. They're like, oh, I don't know. And one of the kids is like, well, we need like, we need wood. We need logging. Otherwise, like we, the economy like will fail or we can't have, you know, tables and buildings and all this. I'm like, oh, you're not wrong. But like, do you need to do this? Like, do you need to cut down these trees in this way? Like knowing what we know, it's not like, oh shoot, we didn't realize this was the last watershed. So it's like, there's some, level of like it's bad that it's happening but it's it's somehow feels like so much worse borderline evil to know that it's not happening in ignorance like the government and these companies know what they're doing Mm -hmm. and they're still doing it and even the woman who took the photo she's like the first thing that came to my mind is that i couldn't possibly be seeing what i'm seeing like to see a tree that big on the back of the truck was like no it's just wrong, right? And she goes on to say, like, oh, I'm not anti-logging, but this, something about this is just awful. Mm-hmm. And, like, we all know that. And yet, it still happens. Well, and we yeah. don't, like, necessarily call for change or, like, what what can people do if they, like, see that picture or see these things and be like, oh, I don't know. Like, what do I do? Well, there just has to be a moratorium on old growth logging. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no other way. Right. That's the only solution forward. And, and the thing is, you know, it's the same type of argument someone can make of, well, we can't phase out of fossil fuels. You drive a car, you, you like have electricity, you do this, you do that. But 
it's we have enough supply to meet demand mm. there is no need to log old growth there's absolutely no need and these companies can do tree farms like what they're already doing they can be i i personally don't support just like generalized second growth logging i think that that's another conversation there, where there's a lot of scientific nuance and the ecological impacts of that but it depends on where things are getting logged you know you can't log near watersheds you just can't mm -hmm. it completely destroys watersheds it impacts erosion which then impacts salmon it just has this ripple effect for like the entire ecosystem that is just it's incomprehensible that it's something we're even doing mm. and and i do think that the other part of you know folks seeing a tree that huge on that truck in that image for a lot of people that's the only tree they've ever seen that huge <laughs> in an image mm -hmm. and i think that's something else that's important to recognize is we're ta not only talking about extinction of these incredible ecosystems and ancient forests but we're talking about an extinction of experience right. you know this is how will we understand ourselves and relate to our environments without these places left mm -hmm. and for me when i the first time i ever was even in an intact old growth forest was only a couple of years ago and i was doing i was volunteering with wilderness committee and they were host they do these annual um, trail builds and proposed cut block sites. And part of it is to get the public into, rem I mean, we're fighting for remnants. So it's like to get the public mm -hmm. into these like scrappy little remnants mm -hmm. of ancient forests to feel that relationship. So then you have a sense of responsibility when the time comes. Yeah. And it was 2019. I was doing a trail build like in April in the wall brand which is a very intact like old growth valley bottom of the forest and the road to get in there is right at the juncture of all these other tfl sites where the fairy creek blockades are holding it down right now so it's very much connected and that tfl site is approved for logging where we were doing that trail build with till jones and Pachidot. so it's kind of a matter of time when that becomes a thing but for right now it's not thank god and but anyway i was out there doing this trail build and the best way that i could ever describe that experience was a part of you comes to back to life that you didn't even realize was sleeping like you mm. didn't even realize this part of you had not been fully awake and then when you get back into that environment and you're in that ancient place it really just reawakens a part of yourself and it's to me that's invaluable it's mm. like this indescribable experience and then I was building bridge poles with this War of the Woods veteran, which is what they also call the Clayoquit Sound Protests, which were before Fairy Creek, the largest civil disobedience act in Canada, which stopped old growth logging in that area. Um, and I was asking him if it felt surreal for us to be back here doing the same thing. And this was even before the Fairy Creek blockades, yeah. but it was still in the same region. And he was like, no, what's surreal to me is that people don't know what a forest is this time around. He was like, when we were doing the Clayoquit sound protest, War of the Woods, everybody had been in an old growth forest. Like everybody knew what that felt like. Everyone had that relationship. So people could mobilize on it. 
and people understood. Whereas now people think tree farms are forests Mm -hmm. or they think second growth is, you know, some second growth is not a healthy forest at all. And so it's just this like loss of perception and reality that happens when our environments are getting changed so rapidly by corporate abuse and industry. And so I just found that to be like so powerful when he shared that. And then when the stuff with Fairy Creek started taking off, I was thinking there's no way that I can sit back in that place that I had just been in a couple years ago building these trails you know, I felt that responsibility. So it worked like mm. that, that ability for people to return to a place and develop a relationship with it and spend time and like just be on the land. It really makes you feel responsible to it. Yeah. It's a connection. It's a connection mm-hmm. to the place mm-hmm. and to the, to the forest that you wouldn't normally have. Yeah. You think of so many people that are just urban and it's like Stanley Park, right? Or the North Shore Mountains, like that's the sense of connection and maybe it's once in a while or just seeing it or knowing that it's there, but, or, you know, the local green space in your neighborhood is like the closest we get to nature and it's like curated man, man-made nature. It's like cent- nature. Central Park would be like our definition mm-hmm. of nature going forward. Mm-hmm. Like, which is funny because like Manhattan was an Island that they like, yeah. steamrolled. I wish like, I could have seen Manhattan before. Right? And they like recreated Central yeah. Park because they got rid of all of the nature and they're like, oh, this isn't healthy for and us. Like, oops. Like, oops, <laughs> we went too far. Yeah. But you talked about that idea of extinction of experience and mm-hmm. I and just hearing your own experience, how it put you on this path of, you know, being an advocate for for these trees and for, you know, climate or environment. It's like imagine if we all had that experience. Mm-hmm. We'd all be fighting for the right to live in a planet with ancient growth and old mm-hmm. growth. Um, or we simply wouldn't have to fight for it. Because if right. everyone had that experience, we we would all just be celebrating it, right? Mm-hmm. Like we would, you would hope. Capitalism might have something to say about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, even coming from Philly, I remember the first time, because my sister was doing her undergrad at UBC. And... You know, my friends will tease me and make fun of me being classic American. I had never heard of Vancouver until yeah. I came out to visit her when I was like 19. Yeah. I didn't even know Canada had a West Coast and East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. Um, we have a great public schooling system in the States. <laughs> that does so much more than, you know, national anthems does. Anyway, so <laughs> I like went out to visit her and I had never seen trees in that way before because mm-hmm. i had been you know from philly to colorado which is yeah the southwest is a whole other type of landscape yeah. but i'd never been to the pacific northwest which is lush and moss and ferns and everything is just kind of like dripping and hanging in this like just a it feels abundant like mm-hmm. the environment is just it's incredible and i was so moved by it that I wrote to my dean from my sister's dorm room. I am taking a leave of absence. I was like, I need to go live and work in a national park. And so I did, because I just realized how much I needed nature more than I even thought I was experiencing it Mm. just by going in Stanley Park and like Pacific Spirit Park. I didn't didn't have that baseline. Like I didn't know. 
And now when I go back to those places and I have a better understanding of forests, I see what's unhealthy about some of those ecosystems and spaces. Mm -hmm. But at the time, for someone coming from Philly, like my mind was just so blown and I just realized how deprived I was and that I needed more. And so I took time off school when I was 19 and my undergrad worked and lived in a national park because I was like, I need to just fully delve into yeah. an environment experience. Where did, where did you go? Which park were you in? Acadia National Park. Okay, where's that? In Maine. Oh, cool. On the East Coast in the yeah. States, yeah. So I was living in the cabin with everyone else it was like the park ranger cabin and then made popovers by day <laughs> and <Nice>. adventured by night <laughs> you gotta feed the visitors yeah yeah and and it was awesome because i would just get on my bike and every single day go to the ocean be in the woods be on the trails and just really felt like i was in this experience of returning to myself and you know a lot of people don't have that privilege mm -hmm. of experiencing the outdoors in that way. And that was something that was interesting about how my relationship started with the North Face. We went and did this expedition, the Arctic Na National Wildlife Refuge, to raise awareness about oil drilling that was happening out there. And so many folks on that expedition had never been on a hike before because they were like trying to do this mm -hmm. new thing of having like young, diverse group of people do an expedition but it's like when you bring in diversity you, you obviously bring in like the barriers mm -hmm. to the outdoors and experiencing these places so i do think that's part of the conversation is like a lot of folks who have like very urban upbringings or experiences just don't have the privilege to even access the outdoors and and i just think that like nature and the environment is like one of the most liberating places to exist mm -hmm. and i think that everybody should that's like should be a fundamental human right is a right to a healthy environment and access to nature yeah because that's a whole nother that's a whole nother vein of the conversation is mm -hmm. how is it ex accessible to people who are the people who get to have these experiences currently right like are they able to pack up on a weekend and go camping with their family or have you know a dad uncle grandparent mom who's gonna say okay this saturday like we're going for a family hike Right. And the kids might moan and be like, oh, it's so hard. But then like that instills something in them mm -hmm. that I think is lost. And if you're someone living yeah, urban, urban environment, maybe Nate, the closest nature, real nature is far off an hour drive or more. Like how in in the busyness of life do you make time for that? If it's like single parent or work dual, mm -hmm. dual working parents, it's like, no, here, just like watch planet Earth. DVD or something, right? <laughs> like cool. David Attenborough, take you. Yeah, yeah, right. Cool, but not the same yeah. as literally being in there, breathing it in, smelling mm -hmm. it, feeling it, sensing it. Yeah, yeah. The making those things accessible to people is is huge in mm -hmm. terms of the education piece and and giving people that experience before it's too late. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we talk like man, we talk a lot about the mental health crisis, like that's going on. People are having, you know record highs of anxiety and depression and all these things and you know people say go spend time in nature that'll make you feel better and at the same time we're cutting down this these entities that are you know supposed to make us feel better make us feel more connected mm -hmm. um i want to go back to one thing that you talked about uh on memory mm -hmm. and one of the books that i kind of have gone back to many times in my life called The Once and Future World by J.B. Uh, McKinnon. Have you read that one? Oh, 
have heard of him. He's Someone a- just told me I need to read that book, and I bought it yesterday. It? Oh, no way. Ooh. Yeah, but I have okay. not read it yet. He's a local guy. He lives yeah. here. Oh, really? So maybe, I didn't know that he's local. Will, we'll need to connect. Okay, yeah, that would be cool. But he talks about this idea of general, generational amnesia and mm-hmm. connecting to nature. And um, basically what you're talking about, like eventually we'll think that farmed trees or forests and um even in my own life i have this experience um you know i go to pender island every summer one of the southern gulf islands and we rent this cabin my family has since i was one so we've been going there for you know 35 years or so and um the people that own it um we're talking about the trees there and i was like oh is there any old growth or or ancient ancient growth left on the island and they're like no they clear-cut everything it's all second growth at best and he was talking about how the climate changed and the trees that grow grew there when it was um, before it was clear cut were different trees that grow now because when they cut all the trees, the climate changed mm. and the trees that had originally grown there, I think they were cedar, were no longer suitable for mm. for this new climate. Mm-hmm. So uh, this idea of generational amnesia like you would think that these are the trees that are indigenous that are local to pender island when that wasn't the case right you know so um i think if we're not able to protect and preserve what's left of this world we our our definition our understanding will be so small of what this world can be and what our our role is within it Mm -hmm. so i think like We'll be left with kind of like these zoos, so per se, like Cathedral Park, where you'll see like one old growth or two you old better growths. better knock on wood right now as you say that. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Don't I know. manifest knock, it. Knock on wood. That's a very strong vision. But I mean, I, I pray that I'm wrong, but it just yeah. kind of speaks to the importance of, of yeah. protecting what's left because mm-hmm. once it's gone, there'll be the memory will be gone with it. Totally. And I. And that's what my PhD work is on entirely is the mobilization of memory for climate justice. And the generational amnesia that he's talking about was coined by the psychologist Peter Kahn. Okay. And and it started because he was that psychologist was doing research in communities of school aged children who were living near industrial sites of like high toxicity and pollution. And they didn't have a concept of something being wrong. And it was incredibly alarming. So he was referring to that as generational amnesia. And then similarly, around the same time, Daniel Pauly coined the concept shifting baseline syndrome. Okay. And he's a marine biologist. So that work has stayed largely within the realm of fishery science. But it's the idea that we manage and respond off from our baselines. And so our baselines will continue Mm -hmm. to shift and be impacted when our environments in the ecosystems are being impacted. Mm. And so it's, I think it's an incredibly powerful concept that merits much more public awareness around because, you know, we're normalizing destruction. We're normalizing these very, um, a kind of depleted mm-hmm. landscapes, which is a reflection of ourselves. Like we're normalizing our own depletion. It's inseparable. They're interchangeable. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, stories of what was and how things were are so important because it's a way for us to kind of reset and mm-hmm. hold on to a baseline of more abundance and just a more thriving environment. But at the same time, it's like, how can we, 
mobilize this memory to fight because if we don't have that understanding then what are you fighting from mm-hmm. you know because if there's no old growth left which it's you know one of my friends who i wrote the piece about and um the national observer who was doing tree sits and Kekus and had this like brutal arrest uh she was saying to me when we were at fairy creek together the fight for old growth is going to be really short mm-hmm Either we're going to win or it's all going to get logged. And we basically have three to five years. So it's not going to be a long fight. So it does need to be like everyone hauling ass. Can I say that? Yes. Whatever whatever gets people to haul their ass, say that. Just full on like hit the ground like it's the last because it is. And and that's the thing is like that's kind of what I was saying earlier with Tim McChristoff. It's like we have to really be asking ourselves every day. Is my how am I showing up for my community? How am I showing up? My community extends beyond the human community. It's mm-hmm. part of this environment, and are my actions and what I'm personally responsible for is it paralleling the magnitude of what we're facing? And I think people need to sit in the discomfort of the truth that it probably isn't. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what can we do to scale up? And I think that. The positive part of it is taking action and continuing to scale mm-hmm. up that action or to be more engaged or more critically informed, just all these different things is actually so empowering. And to me, that's what I find to be self-soothing in a time like this mm-hmm. is that I am fighting. Right. You know, and like we do have agency and in community, we're so much more powerful and that's a very energizing way to go about really hard work that's yeah. like emotionally draining and you know we're witnessing these landscapes of violence and and what's at stake and i just think that you know folks should should not underplay just how invigorating it will feel to get in you know to mm-hmm. just like jump into action to find your community to keep meeting people to keep connecting to keep fighting because to me it's like if i weren't fighting for these things that i care about then i'm not in love and like i'm Mm -hmm. like if i'm not in love then i'm not living and so i just think that for folks to really you know sit with it like just think like how can you fall in love with these places again like how can you fall in love with your community how can you fall in love with you know the forests and or the ocean like there's just so much there's a seriously a place for everybody because yeah. <laughs> everything's fucked yeah. <laughs> we need all all hands so, on deck yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so good it's so important i think to be able to recognize too like it's it can feel insurmountable mm-hmm. and something you said earlier was like we're we're often consuming um, this information in isolation and it can feel like, oh my God, like what can I do? And it's, it's overwhelming. So mm-hmm. we just like, don't think about it because right. one person can't solve it. Right. Right. Not, not one speech, not one, even if it's like the best documentary ever made, like it's not mm-hmm. going to be enough. We need to all show up and to realize like there's other people showing up along with me and that it's a community engaging and, and working towards this and fighting for this right. and loving this all together that like is so empowering and it shows 
that it can be done. It's not as insurmountable as like you against everyone else. It's like this whole group of people showing up mm-hmm. and passionate about the same the same thing, which is identifying that community and, and moving forward in it together mm-hmm. to protect ultimately part of that community and right. like the part that we need the most. Like, cause we can't, mm-hmm. we can't take advantage of the goodness of life on a planet where there is like life is in peril because mm-hmm. we've cut down all the trees or poisoned all the streams. And it's just like, we need to start to, to see that and see that there's actionable items that we can do and it's not overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also think for folks to ask themselves, what are you committed to? Mm. Because for me, I am not committed to the idea that I am going to be creating change. But because if I were, I would be burnt out and would be done because I'm not seeing a linear trajectory. You know, it's I think that we live in a society of instant gratification. We have it every day. We're right. constantly getting our dopamine fix. We're always getting the instant gratification of social media and our attention is always pulled in a thousand different directions. So for me, at least what I find helpful is I am committed to the integrity of showing up when I know that there's injustice in my local community, which for me, we're the forests that were just an hour and a half drive away. There is no excuse for anybody on Southern Vancouver Island to not show up for that. There's just no, there's nothing. And so I just think that it's, but if you're showing up because you're, or you're thinking, well, what can I do this one person? Can I actually save that tree? I don't think that's the question. I think the question is, what is your integrity to? And, and really finding alignment with that and just constantly acting from a place of integrity because for like, and I've seen this happen a lot with my work where, you know, maybe two or three years down the road, then things start materializing and I'm like, oh, that's why that happened. But same thing with Fairy Creek. I was heading out there because I felt accountable to folks that I knew who were there. I just felt accountable to my relationships. I knew some folks in the community that I felt responsible to, and that was it. It it wasn't like, well, can I do the reporting or, you know, will I be able to have any type of a voice or an impact? No, it was coming from a place of integrity of I have to drive out there. I have to camp out there. And same thing even with the summer, you know, witnessing the salmon collapse on the Yukon River in Alaska. It was a similar thing where I have relationships there. I was being invited to different fish camps and it was the integrity of just having to show up. I didn't know if the reporting would happen. I didn't know if the story would materialize and it did. It's going to get published in High Country News in their print and I'm grateful for that. But at the time it was like me and my friend who's a photographer, we just flew ourselves out there on a bush plane and just did it because that's mm-hmm. what you have. That's what you're responsible to do. So right. I just think that, you know, bigger pictures for folks to really think. I think it, it can get even more um, overwhelming if you're just like, I need to see this end result. Right. Like at this time, you know, I think it's much more grounding to just be like, actually, I will forever be in process and forever in a journey of mm-hmm. trying to heal and repair and restore this earth and in my local area yeah that's so good that's really helpful i think as we think about like what it is we can do 
and how you can show up and to, yeah, to say, oh, I need to be the person like chained to the tree or this or that, like that can, again, that can be so much for people that they like, Mm -hmm. it moves them to non-action, but to say where, yeah, who do I have integrity to and like, who do I have connections with and relationship with that I can show up for them or these places. And again, I mean, it comes back to not eliminating that experience Mm -hmm. and that the real danger of the, well, the double loss is obviously the land, the forest, the ecosystems themselves. But then that extinction of experience, as you had said, is like that robs us of so much ammunition to be able to go into the future and say, because of this experience, I need to go and be part of this movement or Mm -hmm. this group. Yeah. And, and just having a long-term commitment. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was organizing in Vancouver on the pull together campaign, which was all around trans mountain, formerly Kinder Morgan and the tanker traffic, just all that stuff. And I remember we, the first two years of pull together was just amazing. Like we had done an event that we raised like $17,000 in one night. And it was just like so fun, had all these local breweries donate kegs and it was just awesome. And it was all to support indigenous led legal challenges to stop the pipeline. And then I remember the following year I called a list of, it was like, we had this whole data list of folks who had ever volunteered and had been involved in pull together. And I remember I was sitting outside making these calls to see if people were ready to like, let's go we're out here we go another year we got to keep organizing this fight's still going and so many people were like yeah you know i did it last year i'm kind of done and i'm just like the communities that are directly impacted they don't get to choose Mm. when they're done Mm. and to me that's what it actually means to be an ally in these fights and like to really show up in a good way is like if you're able to just step away from sites of extraction and sacrifice zones because sites of extraction are sacrifice zones. If you're able to just walk away from that and resume your life without your life, your quality of life directly impacted, you have immense privilege. Yeah. And with immense privilege comes immense responsibility. And I think people have to start grappling with that is, you know, so many folks were really hesitant about showing up for Fairy Creek because they were hearing about the, conflict that was going on within the nation you know elected chief and council supports logging elder bill jones doesn't who's aligning with who and then you know john horgan's coming out saying like this is reconciliation you know just stuff like that it was just brutal like at the time that residential school like children's graves were being unearthed and so that's where to me i'm like if people are trying to navigate the messiness of this collective reckoning that we're having with this colonial past and present that everybody is somehow we all are enmeshed in Mm -hmm. is really thinking about those long-term commitments and relationships Mm -hmm. is like should I really be leaving an issue or just having this like you know parachute in and parachute out you don't want to be doing that and and so i do think that it's it's much more gratifying too over the long run anyway to have long-term commitments long-term relationships in these movement spaces and i think just yeah going from that place moving from that place for me yeah at least is very it's orienting right you know grounds you a little bit more it's like Mm -hmm. what we saw last year you know lots of people's social medias on a tuesday went black right and then 
afterwards it was like things just went back to normal mm-hmm. right and to be able to opt into caring right about black lives or indigenous lives right we recently just had our september 30th like first trc day mm-hmm. and like great yes wear the orange shirt participate learn get something out of it post something on your social media it's all good but then like how are you going to continue showing up and if you can choose oh, i'm going to care about it today and like i don't have to care about it tomorrow because it doesn't directly affect me to recognize the privilege of that is huge and like i had never really thought about that until just now and you're saying that with with climate mm-hmm. and like our forest and say we can live in a place where it feels like oh we don't have to we're not like directly threatened by it so like i don't have to care all the time mm-hmm. and even just knowing that and being like oh wait a minute that's like a huge privilege to not have to be focused on it and not have to care but i have to like commit to caring mm-hmm. and commit to like showing up and not just checking the box like oh yeah i donated i fundraised i participated last year mm-hmm. that's good enough right but to say no like what does it actually look like to be in an ongoing support role and an ally i think is so important mm-hmm. for the people who have been doing this work and protecting these lands long before any of us were here and it improves our well-being there's studies on it the happiness lab podcast is great i recommend but you know there are psychological studies that have come out showing generosity compassion being in community it actually makes you happier and it like ties back into what you were talking about earlier with mental health and well-being and it's like Yes, we can hold space for the grief and despair of the magnitude of this crisis and everything that we're all up against. But we can also hold space for the fact that fighting for justice is going to be healing at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think that it's, yeah, there's great irony and almost a sickening irony in the fact that there's ongoing discussion around mental health while at the same time a huge collective lifeline for mental well-being is the environment. Forest bathing, spend time yeah. in nature, you know. Totally. It's like, oh, don't go in that nature because we're cutting it down. But instead, we got some pharmaceuticals over here <laughs> and buy which, this over there. Which those pharmaceuticals are yeah. often from, you know, nature, specifically right. old growth. Right. And, I mean, I think we don't even know the scientific... Uh, importance of these old growth trees yet like there's mushrooms Mm -hmm. that only grow in old growth trees there's Mm -hmm. like a biodiversity that only exists in old growth that we're like we're not even like at the we're still discovering it you know Mm -hmm. yeah and I remember I was talking to a guy at Kekus who I think he was maybe like late 40s and I'm pretty sure he was like his career path was in carpentry and maybe a bit of logging I can't remember but I remember him saying that how he gets through his life essentially he was like I go sit at the base of an old growth tree Mm. once a week and then I'm good for the week Mm. (laughs) then he goes back does it again and then he's good for the week and it was just really incredible to hear because it was you know this guy who just exudes masculinity (laughs) in every sense of the way and he's sharing this really vulnerable thing about his own healing process and how he's able to restore himself to continue in this world and I think that's the other part of it that I found to be so beautiful about conversations around old growth is 
a lot of people who are trying to shed like the impacts of patriarchy and like colonization on themselves are finding so much healing in these places and it was just so beautiful to hear him say that and for him to have found this way to you know to be healing yeah yeah the well i hope i hope that we can steer the ship and you know mm-hmm. protect like you said it's either going to be it's going to be a short fight and hopefully it's a short fight because there'll be no more old growth logging and you know we often compare it to you know trophy hunting for mm-hmm. extinct game you know it's very clear that those guys are the bad guys that mm-hmm. are going and hunting animals that are near extinction um these old growth trees are are much in the same you know they're limited and there's really no purpose to cutting them down you know there's they've discovered they've created more sustainable ways to to log into forest and it doesn't need to include cutting down our old and ancient forests Mm -hmm. totally and i think the other thing that people need to realize is that old growth the fight to save old growth truly should define bc Mm -hmm. you know bc has benefited economically from campaigns around you know what is it called like this supernatural bc yes this total way of exploiting the nature of bc for economic gain while not being responsible to it yeah and to me that's just wrong like we can't put out these messages of you know we're so proud to have this Mm -hmm. abundant natural bc while we're killing it at the same time and i think that folks really need to critically understand the way that bc is greenwashing so intensely mm-hmm. the fight to save these forests like they didn't even include emissions from forestry in their climate plan and it it accounts for such a huge amount of emissions they didn't even consider the wildfire risk of all of these clear-cut sites which is basically like a tinderbox mm-hmm. or like even what it looks like when you're driving through like tree farms every like all the trees are these spindly little matchsticks just like waiting to incinerate you know there's just like all of these aspects of environmental impact that's unaccounted for by bc when it comes to forestry Mm -hmm. but then at the same time they want to use bc forests in their climate plan to say that we can sequester the carbon emissions that we're putting out from other industries through these forests it makes no sense but at the same time, those very forests are now emitting emissions because of the industry. And they're, you know, and once you cut old growth, like there's not, th- those forests don't have the capacity to sequester carbon the way that it's needed anymore. Mm-hmm. So I just think that, yeah, like I said, only way for old growth moratorium. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Here, so, here. So if you're listening to this and, you know, you're a parent of young kids like we are for, you know, here in Steveston and we want to be active, but we can't make it to the front line of, mm-hmm. of Ferry Creek. What are some ways that we can be activists from here mm-hmm. or ways that we can support the fight from home or, or mm-hmm. not from home? Like what are, what are some steps that people can take mm-hmm. some easy, I mean, maybe not easy, some practical steps mm-hmm. that people can take to, you know, being an ally in, in climate climate fight well i think that there's endless it's seriously anything is possible (laughs) yeah good (laughs) get creative 
Um, I think the first thing is find out what your local communities are fighting because Van- the, the fight to protect old growth is not only on Vancouver Island. There have been blockades that have been going out in northern BC. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure some Nelson or Revelstoke, they were having blockades yeah. too. Like there's, it's everywhere. Like find out where the old growth is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then figure out which community is involved. You know, have conversations, have town halls and learn about the issue, learn about the situation. Because it's, and the other thing is that there needs to be alternative economies. There has to be a just transition for a lot of communities who have been forced to depend on old growth logging. Mm-hmm. And so maybe, you know, if a community or some individuals have a lot of personal capital, maybe they want to buy back a TFL. That's an option. All, maybe they want to run for office. Maybe they want to be advocating for policy reform and you know dismantle the fallacy of sustainable yield. Mm-hmm. Maybe they want to be championing you know their own modalities for a just transition, and that's like an opportunity for innovative business and entrepreneurial efforts. Is you know what alternatives can a community benefit from mm-hmm. or even consulting with different communities that are fully dependent on logging and doing an assessment of what is possible for those local economies. Right. You know, there's just so much. And I think that at the root of it too, is really launching campaigns locally to impact on this broader level provincially, because there has to be reform on all of these scales. It's so layered and I think that the nuance doesn't have to be off-putting because it really just means that there's a place for everyone. Right. You know? Well, I, I appreciate I, I feel like you, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you still have an optimistic outlook despite being, <laughs> you know, bearing witness to so many, so many things that are on the tipping point of change. Um, yeah. Is that true? Are you still optimistic for you know, our future world? I just live in the present <laughs> there we go. and I think that I can't I cannot I truly do not know what the future holds yeah. all I know is that I will have more conviction for our future the more I see people organizing mm-hmm. getting involved raising awareness and just starting to level up yeah you know I just I really put that like call, that's a call to action that I put put out there for everybody is you are totally responsible for taking a stand in whatever fight it is that you care about that is connected to the climate crisis. The forest in BC, completely connected. You know, in whatever capacity, whatever way, everybody has to do something. It's like, you know, or just reckon with the question of what, what am I going to tell myself mm-hmm. 15 mm-hmm. years from now, you know, and maybe envision the worst case scenario like you were earlier about (laughs) Zeus (laughs) and think you know how will I feel if I know that there is no more ancient forest and that that fight was lost will I how where where will my conscience be Mm -hmm. did I do everything in my power that was possible and really be able to be truthful about that and and ask that for everything else and so for me, I feel, I don't know that I feel optimistic. I think hope is a funny thing, but I definitely feel 
very in love with Mm -hmm. life and with these places that I care so deeply about and with the people who I care so deeply about. And, and for me, I have so much gratitude and so much appreciation for what is left and for everyone who is going to put everything on the line for it. And I just want to be fully immersed in that during times like this. It's like, that's, that's all that there is. Well, I think action is empowering Mm -hmm. and sometimes action leads thought and, um, I know you're, you're, uh, we're on a bit of a schedule cause <laughs> we gotta get you back cause you're on your way to, uh, to Scotland for climate, yeah. uh, climate action. I'm going to get it wrong again. Climate action. Climate talks. Climate, climate talks. talks. Cop 26. Cop, there we go. The last cop. Can, can we finish <laughs> with a couple of quick rapid fires and then yeah. we'll let you get on your mm-hmm. way to, uh, to help change the world. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Yeah. 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 Um, we'll just ask if you, cause I know you're. You, your time is limited, um, like the old growth trees. Oh my god! No. <laughs> <laughs> old growth tree pun. <laughs> You're like, how do you feel optimistic after this interview? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think knowledge is power, right? No, I'm so, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to know what's going on yeah. to be able to make change. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, we mentioned a couple books, but um, we like to ask people, what is a, a book that They've, you've gifted most in your life or a book that you mm. think everyone should read? Oh. Um, the f- I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many. I, I'm such an avid book reader. I think that for me personally, I feel bad if I don't say certain books or whatever but you, you can say a few yeah give us like um, a long okay, list okay, if you okay. want okay okay so doesn't have to be what yeah you know, number one it could be one <laughs> yeah. through ten yeah can't do favorites um ter- anything by terry tempest williams is to me amazing because she i think one of the hardest things that i have the most respect for is an artist and i think writers are artists but any artist who can embody the essence of the environment Mm -hmm. i just think it's something that's like sand it just kind of goes through your fingers Mm -hmm. and it's so hard to convey that essence and the spirit of a place and while invigorating someone who's reading it and terry tempest williams does that i brought one book with me into the arctic refuge and it was her book which one it was refuge okay yeah and so because i was like i want to remember how to express myself Mm -hmm. so terry tempest williams for sure um, one of my all-time favorites is Blindness by Jose Saramago. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Is yeah. That, it's like a TV show or a book as well now, I think. I don't know if it's a TV show. Maybe. I don't know. It could be but wrong. I feel like that book. Seeing One is like based on that concept on Apple. Who is on Seeing Apple. One? I think it's called Seeing on Apple TV. Oh, okay. I'm so bad with TV references. But that's a great book. It's such a good book. Yeah. It's so powerful. You kind of feel it as you... Mm-hmm. As you go through it. Like, yeah. Hey. Like I felt blind reading. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, um, and yeah, I'd say that those are probably my top two right now. Okay. Um, you actually mentioned one on another, on Desiree Nielsen's podcast mm-hmm. that I went and purchased as soon as you mentioned it. What was it? Uh, Moss. I don't know. What's it called? Oh, oh, Gathering uh, Moss. Gathering Moss. Oh my gosh. Such a good book. Yeah. Robin Wall Kimmerer. Anything by her. Same thing. Same same vibe that I was talking about with Terry Tempest Williams. Cool. And then Ta-Nehisi Coates' new book, 
I think it's the water dancers yes or something like that because that book is around memory yes like it's memory is this tool for justice essentially because it's like by being able to reclaim their memory they can like I'm not going to give it away but it was so cool it's like this fictional kind of fantasy book but it's so powerfully written I remember just going back over sentences and just being like wow very cool yeah Tina, you got any rapid fires? You got 24 hours <laughs> <laughs> to save the... No, I'm just kidding. Go. 24 hours with someone who is like a climate denier, climate change oh, denier. Okay. Where do you, what do you do with them? Where do you take them? Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you give them an experience to help change, change their mind or help them to see the world the way you see it? The, honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is I wouldn't even get engaged. <laughs> But maybe you take them to an old growth forest like you yeah, talked about. Maybe. I, I just feel like I'm just, I'm in a place of protecting my peace at this point. Okay. And I also just, you know, there's been so much research that we actually don't need a majority to create change. I forget what the statistic was, but it was like this woman who did this really in-depth study on like all these different civil movements and like activist movements and what percentage of the population was actually needed. It's quite small. To shift. It's yeah. very small. Yeah. So for me, I think like I would, I don't, I don't know what my strategic focus would be around that because I just don't even know that I would go there. I don't even know that I'd want to bring a cl- climate denier into like such a sacred space for myself. Right. Yeah. That's a yeah. good answer. You just peace out yeah. and take a day off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, I want to take someone who's going to appreciate this and understand the Fair magnitude. Enough. Um, I mean, I I think that like I would, anybody who doesn't understand the magnitude, I would want to just, you know, show them impact sites or show them that juxtaposition of what's abundant and thriving to the kind of landscapes of violence that are becoming so normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are there any documentaries? I know you mentioned a couple: Inconvenient Truth, um, the Ice uh, Chasing, Chasing Ice. Ice. Those are all early days. I would not say go watch those now. So yeah, are there are there some um, some docs that you'd recommend people check out that might uh, pivot or encourage mm-hmm. their their own journey? Um, I cannot think of one. That's okay. Right. Rapid fire is tough. Yeah. <laughs> we put you on the spot. Watch my documentary that's coming out March 2022. There we go. Yes. There we go. March, March 22nd, that's coming up. No, March um, 2022. March 2022. Yes. Okay. We'll that's have you back. Pr- I just plugged it. We'll have we you go. back. Yeah. Can you tell, what can you tell us about it so far? So this is a documentary with the North Face that I'm directing. Yeah. And it is about this intergenerational women-led fight to protect the refuge and the land waters basically in Alaska, which and women, cool. mother daughter duo and, um, Jody Potts and Quana chasing horse. If anyone knows. Yeah. And yeah, it's like a all women crew, all women team. Amazing. And we've been working on it for the last two and a half years. Well, congrats. That's so mm-hmm. exciting. That's we'll, awesome. we'll try to entice you back for another <laughs> conversation when that comes out. Cause we'd love to, yeah. to talk about that and, you know, watch, watch your doc and, See what we have to learn. I'm sure there's a lot. Do you know, should we land cool. it? Let's land it. Okay, last question. You ready? You ready for it? Mm. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we always we always ask uh, our guests this as the last question. We intentionally call our podcast A Little More Good 
knowing that that's what we wanted to create and do in the world, but everybody has a different take. And so mm-hmm. Maya, for you, what does a little more good mean? Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind when I hear that is, is really process and journey. Cause it is like these little moments, these, you know, if we can just have that space for awareness, we can have those moments of wonder, that moment of reverence, that moment of awe and just really feel and embrace that. And then just keep moving, like keep carrying forward, keep going. And I think that's why I just love where I live so much. I have a little cob hobbit home on the island because <laughs> it gives me those little moments. And then I feel like I can keep doing a little more good. Yes. There we go. Mm-hmm. Well, grateful for your storytelling and your wisdom and for, you know, representing, you know, the world that uh, I hope we can collectively get to. Yeah. Inspired by your work and mm-hmm. inspired by your journey and, and grateful for your time today. Yeah. Thank you. We're glad you... Uh, we're glad you found your way to Vancouver <laughs> <laughs> and that, uh, yeah, it's inspired you to do this great work and inspire others to jump on and join the community, to join the fight. So thanks, Maya. Thank you. Well, there you go. I hope you're feeling uh, inspired, enlightened, and um, maybe maybe a sense of like urgency to act. Uh, call to action there issued by Maya just saying like now's the time to get involved and, and stand up for these forests and to to be part of this community of, of change, of change makers really of which she's she's a leader in it. So what'd you think? She's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. She's just an awesome person, you know. Yeah. Very smart, um, very driven and, and inspired to to do good. I um yeah, I just love listening to her and could have listened for a while longer you know yeah i know there's more there's definitely more to the story that we could have gone into even even you know what she's up to next beyond just uh the the climate conversations in in scotland but the the documentary and how she's experiencing that and i mean directing that like that's crazy right yeah but there's so much uh we'll definitely have her back on to talk more about it and uh to to see to maybe have a, a victory episode when there is like a moratorium on yes. old growth logging, yes. that would be really cool. It's gonna happen. It has to. Yeah, to, gotta to believe in back. the good, right? Exactly. Good will prevail. Yes, yes. So if you're feeling inspired uh, and you want to follow along with with my more, you can always check out her website, mywickler.com, or uh, follow her on Instagram at myreillyw. Um, and you can keep up with her there. She, she has links to her articles and, uh, you can just follow along with, with all of the cool stuff that she's up to in the world, um, with the intention of like making a meaningful difference around her. So yeah, definitely, definitely give her a follow and stay, stay in the know with what she's up to. Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, I hope you guys all enjoyed that episode. Uh, if you, if you did, you know, we, as always, we're grateful and appreciate any likes, reviews, follows, wherever you get your podcasts. It does make a difference. Share it on your social, mm-hmm. you know, tell your mom and dad, your brother, your sister, your neighbor, it all makes a difference. Your in, community. Your community and, and, uh, allowing us to continue to share the, the good word that, uh, we hope to put out there yeah all right y'all peace
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 